0: Welcome back to the Talking Planning Podcast for the fifth episode. My name is Thomas and I am a transport planner and the last few years have taught me quite a lot. The importance of transport planning and urban and regional planning is so crucial to the future of local towns, states and of course, Australia. With economic recovery, the priority of many state governments right now, the role of planning and transport is more important than ever growth in Western Sydney, the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane, a resurgence in regional living, environmental activism and an ageing population are just some of the key considerations that will shape planning and transport into the future around the country. After a rough start to 2022, thanks to supply shortages, a resurgent virus and the threat of a world war ever looming, much of the east coast of Australia has been hit by what is described as a one in 100 year weather event. Sadly, millions of people have been impacted from supply shortages to impacts on travel through to property damage, total property loss and most sadly loss of life. And while for many the waters have now receded, a renewed rain band threatens to wreak havoc on some of the same communities that were hit hardest by flooding just a few weeks ago roads and rail networks have experienced major damage, cycleways have been washed away, and Brisbane's ferry and CityCat infrastructure is reported to be out of action for up to three months. In New South Wales, there are still ongoing major repairs to the main Western Rail Line, with the line still out of action between Springwood and Lithgow. And there are also major stabilisation works along the Great Western Highway at Mount Victoria, with the road down to a single lane and stop-start alternating traffic. I'm sure there are hundreds of other places across the network, which are experiencing these issues. So this is a very small snippet of a very large amount of damage across the state. So let's get back to that one in 100 thingy. 11 years ago, Brisbane was also hit by a one in 100 year or greater weather event. So did we just get really unlucky? Or is there something bigger at play here? Chances are it's a bit of both. And while I am not a expert in flooding and drainage, there are a lot of incorrect reports in the media about flooding that unfortunately many people take to be fact. The first thing to keep in mind is that one in 100, it's actually a misrepresentation of most flood planning terminology. Most flooding models in Australia at least Use an Average Recurrence Interval, ARI, or Annual Exceedance Probability, AEP. Let's go back to statistics class taking AEP, for example. A 1% AEP means there's a 1% per year chance for an event to occur. And as time goes on, the probability of an event increases because, of course, it's cumulative percentage. Importantly, if you widen your investigation area, let's say from a single suburb to a whole town or city, the probability of that 1% AEP event occurring within any given year is much higher than it would be in just one suburb. So yes, it's certainly conceivable to have a large-scale weather event described as 1 in 100 much more frequently than once in a 100-year period. And most importantly, These flood models talk about averages and you will often be because it's an average above or below an average value. I've linked a Bureau of Meteorology article below that explains how it works much more eloquently than I ever could. But from experience, the vast majority of us in this profession facepalm whenever we hear or see media reports of one in 100 rather than an ARI or an annual exceedance probability which is what pretty much every actual flood data and study is based on. So, what do these major weather events actually mean for planning? Quite frankly, a lot. Land use planning is one of the key ways of responding to weather events by thinking about long-term resilience to ensure that we don't make these same mistakes again. Unfortunately, one of the biggest challenges with Resilience planning is determining how risk averse we should be as a society. And there's really no consensus on what is the right level of risk. Importantly, over time, our knowledge of weather events begins to improve and the decisions that we can make more easily around new development on new greenfield sites will probably be a lot more risk averse than it has been in the past. After a major flood event, the first priority is typically cleanup which does make a lot of sense. In removing debris and rubbish, you improve sanitation, you reduce the risk of contaminating your water supply and towns and cities can then from there begin repairs and resilience works. There's also a reduced risk of future flooding as clearing out drainage infrastructure means that it can perform at its best. Rail lines, roads, electricity, water, gas and telecommunications infrastructure are also major priorities and allow for improved site access and telecommunications infrastructure is critical for further clean up and rebuilding efforts. But importantly, there's almost always a rush to get back to the way things were before the event. And while things may seem well and good once roads are open, shops are trading and people are in housing, even if they're awaiting places living in temporary accommodation, There is still a very long way to go and it is an important time right now to be asking the question, how can we be better prepared, minimise future disaster impacts and not repeat the same mistakes? These questions are asked after extreme events and are met with very mixed responses from, let's go and move the entire town to, um, whilst it might be tempting to be as risk averse as possible and entirely prevent rebuilding in any form in flood prone areas, there does need to be a middle ground and consideration into an appropriate level of risk. And obviously the latter response of, um, isn't a good one either. And ignoring a problem does not teach us anything and usually makes a lot of these problems a whole lot worse. So we do have some technical knowledge on the subject, like the New South Wales Flood plain Development Manual, and these tools try and help planners assess flood risks for development assessments or rezoning, or for emergency management planning, and they can be really helpful tools to quantify risks and help to make an appropriate decision. And in some cases, the most appropriate decision may be to refuse development entirely, even if that land was previously occupied. Some of the key risk factors with floodwater are the combination of depth of water and the velocity of water. For example, how fast it moves. Even quite shallow, but fast flowing water can pose a fairly extreme risk and vice versa. Slow moving, but actually quite deep water may be an acceptable risk in some circumstances with an appropriate evacuation strategy and requirements in the development application or approval that require only non-habitable uses below like a flood planning level. But there's one thing that can't be ignored and can go beyond even the most in-depth and highest quality natural disaster studies and decision-making, and that is emotion. The truth is people have connection to the places they live and visit. And this is really strong when a property has held family significance or a location has Well, that place has been a big part of a major memory in someone's life, and it can be really difficult to manage and, quite frankly, accept change. I haven't really talked about this much in the past, but it's something that's worth really pointing out, and that is that planning is a political process. And of course, in many ways, inserting politics into planning can have some pretty major downsides. You'll often find recommendations to approve or refuse development or rezoning proposals can be overturned sometimes with limited regard for the accompanying technical advice and worryingly necessary investment in disaster resilience can just be cut pretty much at a whim. And as a result, planners can be blamed for decisions that at least in some capacity were taken out of their own hands. But in a surprise move, there is one area which politics and planning can actually be beneficial, and that is empathy. From a technical perspective, it can be quite easy to recommend that a proposal to redevelop an impacted site just gets refused. And based on technical advice, that very well may be the correct call, for lack of a better expression, but sometimes there is more at stake that cannot be captured solely in technical recommendations. The point of this discussion, and in fact most episodes of this podcast, are not to present a right and wrong viewpoint, but rather to highlight the need to consider more perspectives and broaden the understanding that goes into making these often very difficult decisions. Too often you'll find that people jump to conclusions without understanding the full problem. And unfortunately, as we're now approaching a federal election, that sort of jumping to conclusions behaviour is often front and centre. And as we near the election, I'm reminded of the very reason I just shelled out $15 a month for YouTube premium. To silence the barrage of ads from a certain disgruntled, underqualified middle-aged man who still hasn't paid the workforce he stood down. And unfortunately, around election time, you will find many people with the attitude of, I can be a better politician slash planner slash engineer slash environmental scientist slash epidemiologist slash any other technical profession than someone who is trying to balance many competing interests when making a very important decision. And whilst I certainly agree, not every decision has been made in the right manner or even with the right outcome, but I would certainly rather see a robust decision making process unfold than just hearing one person's opinion. that was quite a rant. Maybe it's time to just sit back and enjoy a Tim Tam. Jokes aside, though, I do hope, however, that in the aftermath of such events, we do use this as an opportunity to learn and develop better, more risk-responsive plans and policies. And quite frankly, it's also really important that we put more effort into reducing the root causes of many of these quite frankly, abnormal events and make sure that we are putting resilience front and centre in our efforts to rebuild, rehome, and support communities going forward. Maybe then the term one in 100 year events will be a little less misleading. So I appreciate you listening in for this one and I want to thank you for joining me and I will see you again soon.